This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Nearly all the best things that came to me in life have been unexpected, unplanned by me. Carl Sandberg took a nap in the tent and then I woke up and branches were just snapping like crazy all around my tent. And I woke up and I was looking right out through the mesh door and maybe four or five feet away was this big old grizzly just staring at me. I was like, what the heck, this is crazy. And I sat up real fast and was rubbing sleep out of my eyes and I was on thermarest that's kind of noisy and must have pissed it off because it like growled real low and just charged right at me. And it was pretty much on top of me, but I was able to rip open the flap of my tent. I unfortunately had to break my tent to get it open and I was able to get my bear spray out. I sprayed it with the flap of the tent, caught the bear spray, whipped it around and I sprayed myself full on in the face, dude. It was so gnarly. I'm Doc and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with that reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
All right. With this week's episode, we have come to the epic conclusion of season three of the podcast. And to commemorate this tremendous occasion, we have a suitably epic guest this week. I would like to welcome back to the podcast, former guest, friend of the pod, and newly anointed Triple Crowner, Chris Carter. How's it going, Chris? It's going really well, Doc. I appreciate you having me back on the podcast. Okay. You are freshly off the trail. When, when did you finish? I finished on the 17th, December 17th. So yeah, it's been just over a month now, I guess, since I've been back. feels like yesterday and I definitely have not processed it all yet. <laughs> okay. Well, it's good that you're on the podcast tonight so that we can help you process that. That's right. You're my therapist for the night. I hope you're all right with that. That's great. I, I love I love asking therapist style questions because I'm never sure what the responses are going to be. It's very exciting. That's right. Okay. We are recording this in early February, although with this being the 50th episode, I think this is scheduled for a little bit to, to come out a little bit later this year. So uh, this will be kind of like a, a, a time machine, if you will, back into the, into February. Okay. So I know your trail name. Because you 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 were on the podcast before with uh, with Bo and Ike, and we'll we'll get to them in just a second. But I know I know your trail name from your earlier episode. But just for our, our folks who maybe didn't listen to that episode or who are meeting you for the first time, what is your trail name? Yeah, so my trail name is Rad, um, and a lot of people would just didn't really understand it when I would say it. Like, is it right or red or no? It's like Shaka throw it up Rad. <laughs> And partly because I say that a lot, but also because I have a butt tattoo that says rad. One of those impromptu college decisions where you got a bunch of your friends that are like, let's freaking do it. And then you just do it. And then you're like, I don't know if I should have done that, but I did it. It's permanent. And while we were on the PCT, there's a section of trail that goes through uh, a place called Deep Creek Hot Springs. And it's kind of like a nudist area. <laughs> Everyone gets naked there. I was feeling a little uncomfortable and was not super psyched in getting naked, but I was kind of the only one that didn't. And so immediately there was a lot of peer pressure to join in the... <laughs> <laughs> nudity. And everyone was saying, well, you know, he's just really scared that everyone's going to see his, his rad butt tattoo and make fun of him. So from then on, that's how I, uh, that's how I got named rad and it stuck. It's been uh, my trail name for all three trails. Now, a lot of people ask if you get a new trail name for each trail and you know, everything in through hiking, there's no such thing as a rule book, make your own rules. But trail names are a very special part of through hiking community and culture. And, and I think it's, it's quite special to kind of have this like trail identity type of thing while you're out there that includes this like special name. It's got a fun backstory, but you know, I know a lot of people that change up the trail names for different trails and teach their own. Now I love that story because the way you just, the way you just explained it, I, I, I envisioned myself at this location where everybody's, everybody's getting naked, all the clothes yep. are coming off, they're jumping in and there there's poor Chris, you know, he's, he's not wanting to lose those shorts. Now, was it you or was it, was it, uh, was it Ike or was it both of you that had those, those real short shorts? You guys swore oh, by those. 
It was both of them. Yep. Yeah, we were yeah. known by them and that's been my, my signature ever since. Okay. So I see, I can, I can picture Chris sitting there in his, his short shorts and someone Basically goes, Oh, naked already. Yeah. <laughs> practically. And someone says, Oh, he just doesn't want to show off his rad butt tattoo. And so that really piques the, the curiosity and the interest of all the other hikers there and thinking, Oh, he's got a rad butt tattoo. And yeah. finally you, you are pressured into uh, losing the shorts and you turn around and you show them, a tattoo of the word rad. It's it, 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 I, I can imagine they're thinking of something just epic on your cheeks and just can't wait to see it. And it's just a three letter word rad. It's not even, it's not even good to be honest. We did it like this jank stick and poke and the guy that did it lost his like nice needle. And so we had to like steal this big sewing needle from my roommate. <laughs> it was just really bad. But the thing is, I actually never felt the temptation there. I was, I stayed closed the entire time. There's actually only a handful of people in the world that have seen the rad butt tattoo. And so it's kind of a myth. Not everyone believes that it exists. <laughs> now that, that story of actually getting the tattoo, that, that sounds like the start of some horror movie, right? It was that, bad. It yeah. Was deep in a dungeon of one of our dorm rooms. There was five of us. It was a whole, it was a whole ordeal for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you've been on the podcast before, so you know about this, uh, this segment towards the end of the episode called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. That's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to keep them uh, connected to the trail, but also to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. And I'm sure you have, you have one in mind already. And we expect you to drop nuggets of trail wisdom throughout the episode. Awesome. Sounds good. Okay. Hey, I'm going to surprise you with something right here. Oh, I did not. I did not tell you about this segment. We, we've also taken to doing a, a little impromptu current event segment in the Ooh. in the podcast. And I, I, you know, the day of, I'll do a, a quick quick search of all my websites looking for some kind of interesting news related to to hiking or through hiking or backpacking, anything like that. And I came across this gem today, and I want to I want to hear your reaction about this. Okay. So this comes to us from KYW 1060 AM News Radio in Philadelphia. Okay. And I saw this this headline just jumped out of me. It says that doctors can now prescribe park passes as treatment. Interesting. Have you heard of this? I have never heard of that. And so it's it's huh. it's uh, I have to credit this to our our neighbors to the north. The Great White North, doctors in Canada can now prescribe national park passes as treatment to patients, mental oh, health treatment. Be, yeah, patients that with like depression, anxiety. That's right. How about, and that's in Canada though, not in the States? That's right? in Canada. It started in 2019. It's now available in four provinces in Canada, and they are aiming to spread it uh, nationwide in Canada by the year's end. So I thought, you know, what a fantastic um, story because we talk about all the time how people go into nature, people go on these long hikes and they are transformed and they are transformed for the better. They, they enter in one state of mind or one state of being and they, they exit, uh, you know, recharged and renewed and, and just a, the transformative power of nature is phenomenal. You know, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting topic that I found myself thinking a lot more about on these previous two through hikes that I just did than I did on the PCT was how through hiking in general changes your, your mindset of, of gratitude, your outlook on the world and, and your mental health. You know, it's something that we, I talked to with everyone that I came in contact with. And it, it's interesting because 
there is this notion of post-trail depression that a lot of through hikers talk about, which is you come off of the trail and your body is used to this incredible jolt of super great endorphins every single day for, in my case, eight and a half months of just constant cranking. And it's like, you're on this runner's high. So just physiologically, it does wonders for you while you're on it. And then when you come off, I was doing a little bit of research on just what happens to your mind and body after something like that. And there's almost like this withdrawal period where your body has become addicted to this certain level of runner's high, we'll call it. And then you suddenly strip your body away from that. And that is a big contributor to the post-trial depression that a lot of people feel. But it's not only that, it's the it's the way that social that social media and just through hiking in general has become a little more competitive almost. It's it's not become as much of a personal goal, a personal achievement. Now there's incentive for going out and getting the title of triple crown and hiking as fast as you can and setting FKTs. And it, there's this there's this element that's hard to put your finger on of egotism in the through hiking community that was became a lot more apparent to me on these trips. And so the root of what through hiking is, was this back to nature movement, trying to bring people back into what gives us peace and joy and connection to nature. But a lot of it has turned into, uh, unfortunately, a little bit of, of an ego fest. And, and it's cool hearing that people are recognizing the value of that, giving park passes, giving out. I think through hikers have a little bit to learn from that of kind of reframing our mind of why is it that we go out to do these things it's not a competition with each other or with other people on social media how many trails can we tick off in a year and crank it out as fast as we can nothing wrong with that but when that becomes the goal and the mindset and the aim then i think that kind of convolutes the purpose of of through hiking and and getting out and experiencing these things in general you know and so in one sense just having a small maybe weekend interaction in a national park can almost benefit you just as much, if not more than a through hike, because a through hike, there's is a whole other level of different emotional and physical dynamics. And then now there's this kind of egotism and competition that's thrown in the mix. I'd love if you want to kind of flesh that out a little more further on in the pod, but it's something that I've been thinking a lot about and talking to some other kind of content creators in the through hiking community about. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot to unpack right there. You just covered a lot of ground. Uh, first, first of all, I want to agree about, uh, you know, your, I want to echo your, your comments about um, depression, post-trail post depression and, and the, the impact of, of nature on us and what happens to us when we leave. Uh, I've had a similar experience in that I've, I've been a faithful runner for about uh, 12 years now and just finished a marathon in San Diego back in October. And then in December, I suffered an IT band injury, high IT band injury. And I've been kind of not able to run for the last month and a half. And it is driving me crazy. You know, I, I can sense it in myself, just that, you know, not being able to do that. And it really affects my attitude and my, uh, the way I feel. So uh, yes, that, that is a, a very real thing. The other thing is I, I really want to find a doctor in the U.S. that will prescribe me a six-month uh, long-distance trail through hiking pass. And so you know, if, I, if I can get that, I can, I can present that to my work and say, look, it's, it's prescribed by a doctor. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do this. But uh, still, it's, it's just Canada at this point. Just Canada at this point. 
Well, you could do the Great Divide Trail up in Canada. Pretend to be a Canadian. Hit that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I was going to say, I was going to say that you, you need to be able to prescribe national park passes in Canada because if you've ever gone through the reservation, the national park reservation system for the for the the um, the trail you just mentioned, I've talked to Bridget uh, who goes by Scrambles and yeah. also Maddie Saint Arnaud. Uh, oh, yeah. Both, both from the 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 Great White North, and they both did. Is it the Continental Divide Trail? The Great Divide Trail. Great Divide Trail. Great Divide yeah. Trail. And they they said, you know, our our system is crazy. They said, is your system just as crazy? Yeah. And I said, oh, our system has got to be crazier than than your system. I, I've you know just trying to get a, a a permit for the John Muir Trail. Let me tell you how it goes. And they then proceeded to put me to shame in in talking about what they had to do to book oh, yeah. the the, uh, the the Continental Divide Trail. Yeah, the great it's gnarly. It's, yeah. it's super gnarly. I, before I had planned to do the CDT AT link up, I had tentatively planned on doing the CDT GDT Great Divide Trail link up. Mm-hmm. The southern terminus of the GDT is the northern terminus of the CDT, and it just makes sense to have this dope like four thousand or about four thousand mile trail. Right, about tax on seven hundred miles. Um, but I started looking into the permit system, and it was torture and torment, dude. It was brutal. <laughs> Yeah, Scramble said that she had 17 different computers up and running <laughs> and had, uh, you know, four or five friends involved in assisting. And they had a couple of practice run throughs in the weeks leading up to what, how did she, how did she describe it? She described it as the, uh, the great day of booking. Oh my The gosh. great day of booking was circled on her calendar, a couple of trial runs prior to that. And then uh, so 17 good. different devices involved in trying to get in line and, and book these different sections of the trail. Oh, Just man. absolutely bonkers. You got to be like sponsored by Apple to get these. Freaking, <laughs> like, <laughs> That's, That's right, insane, man. It, yeah, it was, it was wild, wild. Just looking at it. I'd still love to do the GDT. COVID is what threw it off. I would, mm-hmm. it's Canada was closed for so long and every single day I'd go on the immigration site and be like, come on, open up. And it was just getting too close to my start date. So, so that's actually one of the biggest reasons I kind of flipped it to the, to then trying to, trying to knock out the AT. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this, uh, you know, people out there trying to set FKTs and really pounding the miles and, and really getting competitive with this. And my, my reaction to that is, if you're doing that out in nature, I mean, how is that different than the rat race that you're trying to escape in the city from your normal everyday life? I mean, you, you want to exist in the moment, but that is, that is the purpose. You want to be out there and enjoy what you're doing and enjoy what's around you. And if you are out there bound and determined every time to set a FKT or or be involved in some competitive process, I think it takes away from that. I, I totally agree. Uh, obviously, I mean, I'm an, I'm an ultra marathon runner myself. I love competing. I love going as fast as I can. And I see obviously loads of value in it. And if I went in, if I wanted to really get in the mindset and be like, I would love to try to like push for the FKT on the AT or how fast I could do it. Then I can see myself getting into that mindset, but you're right. The, if you're doing this as an escape, not an escape per se, that's kind of a bad word, but if you're searching for something, you're doing a lot of soul searching, you need something that's different from, you said the rat race you just came from, you're exactly right. You know, everything doesn't have to be monetized or comp- competition-based. Uh, I think there needs to be more personal, intimate reflection just in our daily lives and in general, in everything that we do in life, you know, and there needs to be a healthy balance. So yeah, there's a, obviously there's a whole 
discussion on speed hiking versus taking it slow, taking it all in. And it, everyone just reverts back to hike your own hike. But at the same time, I think it is an important conversation to be had about like what it's doing as a whole to the through hiking community and just like the, the narrative around through hiking right now, you know? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And nothing against those folks out there who are setting FKTs. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. But I, I would venture to guess that not every one of their hikes is to set an FKT. I mean, I think there's got to be some, some healthy balance in their lives that, okay, they have prepared, they're going to do this, but other hikes, you know, they are taking their time and enjoying the moment and uh, appreciating what's around them. hundred percent. Okay. Hey, let's move on to the next segment, which is our must bring gear review, uh, sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, outdoor vitals. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag for a multi-day hike, with pretty much generic gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Rad, what, what is your must bring piece of gear out there? Interesting. You say, I, I can get by with everything else just being just kind of your normal generic REI stock stuff, but this one particular item, I need to have this. Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I think when I was planning for a late season Appalachian trail through hikes, Sobo, I was talking to a lot of other through hikers that had done it in that time frame, And they kept saying like, the key thing is just keep your sleeping bag dry and keep a good sleeping bag. And also going through this insane snow and the San Juans and different mountain ranges on the CDT, that really became the foundation. As long as I could keep my sleeping bag dry I was going to be okay. In fact, that actually saved my life on the, in the San Juans, a whole little ordeal we had up there. Oh, but, can't wait. Can't wait to hear about that story later. Yeah. But the, the AT, I mean, it just, you know, it just pours on you for days and days. And then, so you gotta, you gotta have a good sleeping bag. That's going to stay warm, even if it gets a little damp, but optimally keeping your sleeping bag dry. So I would say a good down quilt that, you know, I, I go with enlightened equipment, like everybody in the thriving community, but it's just, so quality, um, mm -hmm. use the Enigma and it, and then have a good dry bag, not a dry bag. That's going to start coming apart after a couple months. And then if I'm allowed to say too, but it kind of goes with it, I would move hundred percent to a, a bag liner instead of a bag cover for rain protection. Um, I used a bag cover for a while and it's always going to soak through the water is going to drip down your back. It's going to get into your, your gear. And I, I started using a, a Nylafoam uh, bag liner. Uh, there's a loads of different companies that give them out. It's Nylafoam isn't a, a hiking or through hiking brand. It's just a brand, but I got mine from Waymark gear or, or like a polyethylene one, I think it's called by Gossamer gear. You can get those. Um, that is probably the best way I've found in just like keeping everything nice and dry. And one of those bags lasted me the entire AT through hike. So they're very, very durable. And you just put everything in there and dude, it was awesome. So I, I didn't have any Nyla flume, Nyla fume, Nyla fume, Nyla fume. Yeah. So the benefit of using a Nyla fume uh, bag liner, as opposed to like a, a hefty trash bag is just, is the durability durability. It, it does not leak at all. I mean, I would, you know, shove my steaks and stuff in there. Like it just never punctured. 
and okay. did not leak at all. I think Nyla fume is used for like when you're fumigating a house, they'll put your small kitchen appliances in it. <laughs> and then a couple of the hackers were like, that's a perfect size for a 40 liter bag. And they started like sticking it in their bags. And now tons of people are using it and it's great. But yeah, I mean, wow. one of them, I thought I was going to go through loads of them because when I, I've used, you know, trash bags in the past and I usually go through mm-hmm. them a week, this one whole trip is pretty rad. So definitely would recommend that, especially for a really wet, cold trail. If you're going to go through a cold environment, you need a solid sleeping bag that's rated correctly and a way to keep that perfectly dry. If you can keep that perfectly dry, everything else can be soaking wet, even your thermarest, but you need to have your sleeping bag dry. So even if you got to get naked and crawl in, which I had to do several times to just get out of hypothermia danger mode, then- And And show off your tattoo. Exactly. That's the primary reason. Yeah, for sure. of course. <laughs> yeah, so Nyla Fume, Nyla Fume, you heard it here first on the podcast with Rad. That's right. And if I could do, do one more that, that you'll definitely appreciate, I got to recommend the boa shorts. <laughs> <laughs> there they are. There they are. If you are, if you are listening on Apple or Spotify, pause it right now, go to YouTube and you can see, you can see the shorts that we referenced earlier. So there you go. That's right. These are, these are, these are vital, vital shorts. What are those? They're a three, of- three inch inseam? Yep. And this one is by Boa. It's got the Kenya flag on it, repping the motherland. And I won't hike in anything else, man. It's, it's the best. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Hey, another segment that I've added that you're unfamiliar with uh, is the hiking pole. And it's, uh, it's pole spelled P-O-L-L, like a survey not P-O-L-E, clever play on words there. I like to explain it in detail every time because <laughs> like Chopper Chopper always laughs hilariously that no, none of my guests have any kind of reaction to that. I think I'm so clever, but there's never any kind of reaction from the guests. No, when you sent me the outline, I picked up on that. I was like, that's cool. I like it. Nice. All right. <laughs> I knew I knew I liked you, Brad. Nice job. <laughs> so this, this, uh, this poll helps me give you a score from a zero to a hundred on the crazy scale. <laughs> with 100 being completely sane and, and, and one and one being absolutely bonkers. And so through hikers are the automatically long trail through hikers automatically have a 20 point deduction because they're long trail through hikers. <laughs> so your top possible score here is 80. That's what we're shooting for. Man, we're starting out in the back of the pack. That's right. That's right. Here we go. All right. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? Uh, trekking poles. But I did merge to using only one trekking pole after a while instead of two. So I think for the future, I'll use a shelter that doesn't require two trekking poles and just, just one that seemed to be, seemed to work better for me. Okay. And I'm, I'm curious why, why go from two to one? You know, just, I mean, the, the weight, I found myself carrying my left trekking pole in my hand, like most of the time and sometimes using it for stabilization. And then I would just crank with my right one or sometimes swap hands. And I was like, why does this just feel so much more natural? And I started just stowing my other one in my backpack for like the last 1500 miles of the AT. And mm-hmm. it was just weight that I didn't need. And so, you know, that's probably it. So Rad, have you ever considered just using a single magnificent staff like Gandalf used in Lord of the Rings? Only if it gave me superpowers to like lower the grade of a climb or something, then I think so. That would be useful. That would be very useful. But aside from that, I think I'll stick with the with the generic, boring old hiking poles. Okay. All right. Next question. Boots or trail runners? Uh, definitely trail runners. Yeah, I, I use the... The Hocus Speed Goats are what I used on this last one. And I actually found a sweet spot with the 2E wit. Was, that was pretty clutch. Next question. Tent, tarp, or hammock? Uh, I used the tent. 
I used a Gossamer Gear the one. So it was a uh, not a freestanding shelter, a single wall shelter, almost like a tarp, but it was fully enclosed, had a bug net and everything, and then uses two trekking poles to uh, to hold up. Okay. All right. And you may have alluded to this earlier, but sleeping bag or quilt? Definitely a quilt. You know, you don't really get a ton of warmth under you if you have a sleeping bag and then you're compressing the down underneath you. It, it does provide a little bit of warmth, but for the weight save and just you still get the warmth that you need and that that thermorest under you is going to be all you need underneath you. Okay. And this is the important question. Okay. Stove, cold soak, or stoveless? Oof. There, there's a... There's some serious point deductions here if you if you answer the wrong way. So just oh, uh, I'm heads up. I'm with you. I would deduct some serious points as well for anyone that cold soaks. <laughs> They're maniacs. <laughs> Definitely stove. I cold soaked for all of Oregon, and I'm still recovering from the the trauma. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and our final question. Uh, this should be interesting for you because uh, I know you've, you've experienced it both ways here. So long trails, northbound or southbound, they should be hiked in which direction? Yeah, totally depends on, it's impossible to answer that question because it depends on your timeline, when you want to start the trail, what the season is like. I mean, I thought I was going to do a full Nobo of the CDT, ended up doing the world's most complicated flip-flop. You just get it done however you can, but you know, I, I'd say that the the Sobo experience on the AT was magical. It was really beautiful because we started late in the season. Temps were awesome up in the north. We didn't have any of the humidity or bugs. And then we just followed fall for like over a thousand miles, just tracking the warmth down south. And And there was very few people. I mean, we hardly saw the whole trail. And it was just, it, it was really, really beautiful. So I think I would probably advocate for a Sobo AT if I was, I don't know if I was going to do it again, but you know, okay. Then I, if you do it in the, if you do a Nobo and you do it in the summer, you get to go on swimming a lot more. Okay. Well, let me, let me do the math here. Let me uh, yeah. see. I carry the three yeah. divide, divide by two multiplied by pi and you come out with a solid 72. 72. 72. I started at 80 and I only dropped a little bit. That's not only a little bad. bit. Yeah. Yep. So congratulations. There you go. Man. You can get a hat. You can get a hat with that number on it. If you like, that's great. Can you tell my mom that I'm only 72% insane? <laughs> <laughs> Will do. All right. Hey, uh, let's back up just a little bit and remind folks uh, a little bit about your history and what you've done before. And so uh, tell us again, how, wh where you grew up, uh, what kinds of sports and hobbies you were involved in and how you got involved in through hiking. Totally. So I grew up pretty much my whole life in Kenya, East Africa, where my parents worked. And so I lived in a very remote area of Kenya called Kajabi. I went to an international school there and um, pretty much was a little white Kenyan kid growing up. And you know, wasn't quite sure where I was going to go to college, but ended up in Chattanooga, Tennessee in America. And the transition was real. You know, Africa is, is a wild place to grow up. Every tree is trying to grow a bigger thorn. Every animal is out to mess you up. And so you just kind of grew up with this mindset of, of the wilderness and the wild in a different way, but, but also everyone just kind of lives outside. There's not really any such thing as like an indoorsy and an outdoorsy person. And so um, when I came to the States, there was this 
discrepancy between like the outdoorsy community and the indoorsy community. And that was something I never really heard of before, but naturally I kind of connected and fell in love with the outdoors community and the through hiking community, rock climbing and ultra running community. And they just really took me in. I felt a welcoming. There's a lot of kind of weird, strange people like me in that community. And I just kind of fit right in and really developed a passion for through hiking after doing the John Muir trail in 2017 uh, with some good buddies in college. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, I was just blown away. And, and I remember the moment where I just knew I wanted to do the PCT was coming up out of, uh, or coming down into Deer Valley right before Muir Pass. And it was right as the sun was setting. That's the, the golden staircase absolutely named. And the sun set right on the golden staircase. And there's this PCT hiker going Nobo. And I saw him on the staircase and I was like, dude, what? This is insane. And I just knew that it was for me. And so that ruined me in the best way. I was planning on doing the AT after college. And and after that, I was like, dude, no, yeah, I gotta, I gotta get on the PCT. (laughs) So that led me to the PCT 2018. And then I took about a year, year and a half off to travel around Kenya, East Africa, again, working in a variety of different community development programs. And then came back to the States for grad school which is what I'm still currently in. And uh, after a few months of that, took some time off to then do the, the CDT and the AT, which I just recently got back from. That's right. And we're going to get to those stories in just a bit. Before we get there, though, uh, what are you doing currently to pay the bills or save up for your next adventure? I know you're still in grad school. Any, <laughs> any kind of side work going on or, or are the funds coming from Kenya? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely surviving on ramen right now. Uh, <laughs> well, no different than the trail, right? That's you know. Honestly, yeah, the north side's for the win. They're stocking the pantry. No, I mean, doing one trail is like financial ruin, and then doing two trails in the same season is just like brutal to your bank account. So, yeah, it, it's pretty gnarly. And I, honestly, one of the cool things that I like about through hiking is that you just like leave your life in shambles when you go out to do this. It's such a big commitment. And then you have to come back and like put your life back together and like apologize to all your friends that you left for eight months and be like, I'm sorry, and find a job. It's cool in one sense because it's this super high level of commitment and sacrifice that makes the journey really beautiful. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons through hikes are so emotional, but it does make the transition back into the real world kind of gnarly. So, but right now I've actually, I've been thankful to kind of get a lot of freelance uh, videography projects right now. And so- been doing a lot of work for different clients and doing promotional video shoots for them and then have the a couple of irons in the fire right now for working for some some bigger companies um hopefully here within the next couple months and just excited to kind of like lean into the the film industry a little bit more so right now that's paying the bills and we'll see if i can keep it up it's all it's hard because like you said i'm still in grad school and so everything has to be really like remote and flexible and part-time and it's just, it's a, it's, it's kind of a limbo stage right now, but it, I'm figuring it out. <laughs> okay. Hey, we're going to stop right there for a sec. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to, we're going to refresh our audience, uh, refresh their memory about what you, what you did on the PCT and your film experience with to measure a mile. And we're going to get an update from Bo and Ike and see what they're up to. And then we'll get on to your recent adventure. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back.
From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Muirpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Chris Carter, also known as Rad on the Trail and on the podcast. And, uh, you just finished a big trip, but I want to go back to your 2018 trip because that that's uh, that was your first leg of the Triple Crown. You hiked the PCT, and how I discovered you is uh, I came across your video on YouTube, and it's it's really not doing it justice to call it a video. It, it's actually a documentary. It's called To Measure a Mile, and you did such a fantastic job with that. So when you say that you got some irons in the fire and, and you're doing some, some work for, for some folks, uh, you know, producing some videos, I am not surprised at all. You've got some real talent, some real skill in that area. Man, I really appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's been cool. I never really thought I'd be kind of leaning into this, but uh, it's, yeah, there's just been some cool opportunities that have come up and I've always viewed film and, and videography is a powerful way of telling a narrative and conveying a story, um, whether it's just accounting for what happened or trying to, you know, convince people to be passionate about a cause. You know, when I was growing up in Kenya, we had an, uh, a number of people come out and kind of make promotional videos on on what different organizations were doing in kind of the community development sector there. And uh, just the impact that that had to either raise 
funds and support for a certain effort or just raise awareness for it was, was impactful. And so it's, it's been something, you know, I'm still pretty new at it. Honestly, I've got a lot to learn and I'm all totally self-taught, but I thankfully have gotten some, some mentors now in my life that are teaching me a lot and kind of instructing me in different techniques and how to do things in uh, just a way that tells the story more purely. And so going into the CDTAT, I knew I wanted to film another kind of comprehensive documentary of it. And I went into it with a little more intention a little better gear and kind of working with some other companies this time as well uh, to maybe make it a little more of a professional production. So yeah. Oh, fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. Is it going to be to measure a mile too, or is (laughs) it uh, to measure a kilometer or? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, To measure your sanity more like, (laughs) yeah, it's uh, you know, the, the name I think is going to come to me while I'm writing the script or, or mid kind of movie that's how it happened with to measure a mile it's just kind of the main you know whatever the main kind of focus i want to bring i've got a lot of ideas of kind of the vibe that i want Mm -hmm. to bring to the film and some maybe messages i'd like to convey maybe something similar to what we were talking about earlier um but yeah i mean essentially it's just going to be a a trip report uh it was a a freaking insane eight months the best and most gnarly time of my life i was thrown into just like insanity that i never would okay. have dreamed it was cool nice now before we get to the insanity if you have not experienced chris carter if you've not watched to measure a mile i want you to pause the, the the podcast right now go back to i think it was early season two and maybe maybe episode eight episode nine somewhere around in there go back through our back catalog find the to measure a mile episode and listen to that episode first and then when you're done with that episode, I want you to go to YouTube, find his YouTube channel and find to measure a mile, watch that and then come back. We'll wait for you. Go ahead and do that. All right. You're back. You're up to speed on, on Chris Carter, uh, an amazing guy, some amazing adventures. And before we get to your recent trips, um, I want to hear about what, what are Bo and Ike up to? Because they played a prominent role in the last episode here on the podcast. They were a couple of fun guys to talk to. Uh, your stories. I still talk about your stories on, on various episodes as, as people say stuff that remind me of stuff. I I'm always too glad to share the story of you guys under the bridge outside of, I think it was Palm Springs. Uh, and, and the homeless guy comes up. Uh, that, that, that is always a very funny story in, in my mind, but uh, how are Bo and Ike doing? What are they up to? They're doing well. Uh, they both have moved on in life and have uh, gotten real jobs and are making wise decisions. And I've stayed in the same spot that I was when we were out on trail, I guess. <laughs> but no, they're they're doing well. You know, they're both married now. Bo actually just had a kid. Oh, wow. So, Congratulations, crazy. Bo. Yep. Um, and they're doing well. You know, Bo's still here in Chattanooga, so I see him occasionally. Ike is in Denver, Colorado now, is uh, working for an engineering company and still shredding on the weekends, climbing, hiking, and just killing life. He's, we still stay in contact. He was, you know, both of them were huge supporters uh, on the trail for me and uh, calling me and uplifting me. And because they, they know what it's like, they know what your mind goes through out there. And mm-hmm. they were able to kind of sit with me in the hard parts. And Bo actually came out and joined me for a couple of days on the AT with some other good friends. So that was, that was pretty cool. Okay. Fantastic. Great. Great yeah. to hear that they are doing so well and uh, they've got, they've accomplished some major milestones in their life. 
They have, man. Yeah, they're they're all grown up now. <laughs> <laughs> that just leaves you, Peter Pan. That's right, dude. I'm always the wayfaring through hiker. <laughs> All right. Now you did the PCT in 2018 northbound hike. And if you go back and you listen to that episode on the podcast, you can hear about all the adventures. And uh, actually, if you watch the, if you watch the documentary to measure a mile, you can, you can see all the adventures firsthand. Mm. Um, But you decided that you were going to be a triple crowner. That was a goal. And you decided to do it in epic fashion. And we've kind of alluded to it. You've mentioned a couple of times, but I really want people to understand what you did this year. You actually hiked two long trails in 2021. You started on the CDT. Was that a northbound trip? It, it was supposed to be a northbound trip. Okay. <laughs> Is this the epic flip-flop that you were discussing? Yeah, it, turned, it turned into an epic flip-flop, but mm-hmm. still able to get every mile in. Yeah. Okay. And then after you finished the CDT, you headed over to the northern terminus of the AT and headed yep. south. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was gnarly. It, it wasn't something I, I never really always anticipated doing it that way. Uh, you know, I'm not, I enjoy competing. I enjoy going as fast as I can sometimes, but I also view through hiking in more of a meditative sense. And I really enjoyed absorbing the moment. And I think I, I kind of went into this pretty in depth on the PCT of mm-hmm. starting out as a, just a brand new through hiker with no idea what to do. And there's all this energy of like trying to go as fast as you can and like oh i'm not gonna make it to canada you know and by the time you're a couple months in you're like why the heck am i going so fast this is the most euphoric beautiful thing i've ever experienced i want to sit in it and experience it just freaking live on trail this is insane and so you kind of get in this mindset of like i want to take it all in and go as slow as possible but you know i there's a lot of things that are kind of coming up in life and doing the triple crown has always been a dream of mine, probably my longest standing dream since I was a a little kid in Kenya. I remember hearing about it and just fantasizing about it. I didn't think it would ever be possible. Um, And so I I knew that was something I wanted to do. And I also know that I'd like to kind of, there's some things in life that are coming up, some big life moves and decisions that may potentially prohibit me from taking that much time off in the future. And so okay. I kind of wanted to get it done while I'm young, single, I got the time and the money and just, it all kind of worked out for me to knock both the trails out. But there was a little bit of confusion. I think some people thought I was trying to set a record or go for a certain time. Um, I had a lot of comments about like my, my timeline and how fast I was going. And, you know, I did have to keep a certain pace to finish within the seasons that I wanted to, but I was not out there to set any goals. I was out there to spend really as much time as I could in these magical spaces within the time constraints of the seasons. That's right. And so that's what I was going to one of my questions was, you know, why two in one year, but you, you kind of explained that, that uh, just, you don't, don't have no many, how many other summers you're going to have to do this before everything kind of settles down. And so you decided to, to do it all while you could. And what it ended up being, was it was depending on the routes you took on the CDT, it was probably between 5,000 and, and 5,400 miles. Yeah. 5,200. 5,200. Okay. 5,200 yeah. miles. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to lie, man. It was, it's awesome to do two trails in a season. I mean, you really get into it. Like you are like a part of the trail, (laughs) you know, you go into towns after seven months on trail and you're like, I am a tree. Like I don't belong in society anymore. (laughs) 
you know? And so it's cool. Like it was, I mean, hands down the best year of my life, just, Oh, so raw, the emotions, the feels, the, the, uh, just being immersed in that for so long, meeting so many incredible people, but also having pure unadulterated alone time, just in these magical places of earth. Uh, there's really no substitute. And then having just unbounded freedom, dude, like particularly on the CDT, cause it was, you know, I was the first one through most of the sections because I was trying to go a little bit faster. And also I did so much flip-flopping. And so mm-hmm. I ended up hitting these sections before a lot of the no bowers or so bowers. And, and in 2020, no one, not many people hiked the CDT. It was kind of the few, the proud that year. And so there wasn't a lot of beaten down path. So the CDT was like tons of bushwhacking for me and route finding and like going over blowdowns. And I mean, there was whole hundreds and hundreds of miles of trail where there was no trail pretty much. I just was walking with my GPS out and like, dude, freaking probably this way. I don't know. And then it was like tons of it was covered in snow when I was going through San Juan's. So it was just cool. Like there was not even much of a trail to follow. Sometimes I would just be like, Oh, there's this, you know, Ridge I'll go up and loosely parallel the path. You know, it was cool. It was really, really special. So yeah, just the freedom was unique and Mm -hmm. and beautiful. And so if someone's thinking about doing it, go for it, man. You know, I couldn't imagine doing the calendar year triple crown. I know you talked to like uh, Woody and Buzz, the, you know, youngest calendar year triple crowners, unbelievable accomplishment. Um, But just the, the pace that I had to keep up to do it too in a season and like the amount that I feel like I kind of potentially missed out on, like particularly with on the AT, the amount of night hiking I had to do, uh, from my, me personally, I think it'd be hard to convince me to try to do all three in a year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is, that is yeah. something I talked to, like you said, Buzz and Woody. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to, to legend Jeff Garmeyer. Yep. Um, and we had, uh, earlier on this season was, uh, Jack Jones quadzilla. Oh yeah. And he is out, uh, as, as we're listening, as, as, you, as our listeners are listening to this right now, he's out there trying to do the, the calendar triple crown this year. Yeah. Well, and, be the- the 14th or 15th. Yeah. There's, there's a a few trying it this year. Um, also I haven't talked to him yet, but by the time this episode comes out, this episode will also have aired. Um, Christopher Blackwell goes by Canary. He is also setting out for the calendar triple crown. So just, just animals. I mean, the dedication to do something like that is unbelievable. And the pace, you know, you can't, you can't take a zero so often you just, you you have to crank, you have, to, you got to know that you want to do that because mm-hmm. for me, the experience is the towns as well, particularly on the CDT and the AT, you know, really beautiful historic towns that you're going through, but the CDT, you just go through these one horse, one road towns and all the old people are sitting out on their porch, drinking and talking and you just get to roll through and sit down and chat with them and learn all the town gossip and like that was this beautiful little just slice of american culture which for me was very important because i didn't grow up in america and understanding more about american culture is very important to me and so i wanted to really like sit in these spaces and absorb the local culture and context and and that was really important for me so you know, I don't want anyone to interpret me bashing on the calendar, your triple unbelievable ever, you know, if you want to do it, freaking go for it, but it, it's, you got to want it and you got to know that it's, it's not going to be the, you know, the same through hiking experience as you yeah. may see. I have to imagine that the first half, so the first full trail and half of the next trail 
you've got to feel that weight, that pressure of I've, I, I, I'm not even halfway done and I've got, I've got so much more to do. And that, yeah. that just seems like, seems like, uh, just a lot of pressure on yourself to, to get this done. You can't even really yeah. enjoy it. I wouldn't think. Yeah. It's, you know, it's hard. And for me, your body adjusts so well. I mean, by the end of the CDT, I, I felt like a monster. Like it was awesome. I was also at high altitude. Mm-hmm. And so my lungs were great. When I got on the AT, it was like, I was feeling so good. And that was really special. And so it really just became a mental battle, like halfway through the AT of just like, dude, I've been out here a second and I need, I need people, I need community. Thankfully on the AT, I did it with, I'd love to go into more as kind of this mm-hmm. contrast of like total isolation on the CDT with a beautiful hiking partner named wow that I connected with, uh, from that I met on the PCT actually. And we did pretty much the entire AT together. Um, so that was really special, but, okay. but yeah, I just, I longed for community. I longed for some semblance of normality a little bit through, and it kind of ebbed and flowed, but that was probably the biggest hurdle halfway through the AT was just mm-hmm. a mental challenge. Right. Now let's get to those hikes. Uh, let's go, let's go logistics first. What, when did you start the CDT and when did you finish? And, and, you know, you, you talked about the Epic flip-flop. What did it look like in terms of uh, direction? Oh, dude, I- <laughs> it's it's like i'll try to summarize it but it was so heinous <laughs> like i i started on uh a- april uh 11th i think wow so you're gonna do two trails in in one year two long trails in one year and you started in april yeah okay april 12th I okay april 12th yeah yeah I, I, I mean, I started, yeah, I started April 12th and you know, my goal, I had a tentative goal of like finishing at a certain time. I knew it'd probably go out the window. Um, but it did end up taking me about a month longer than I thought it would on the CDT because of all the insanity that I went through, but it was going well up through New Mexico, like super chill, no stress in the world. And then, uh, hit Colorado. I was looking at the snow report and it was like doable. You know, I got snowshoes, sent to Pagosa, got a whole loadout of snow gear and stuff. And, um, I got there and I was going to be like the first one up into the mountains. There was a handful of other hikers I was with that I kind of hiked off and on with through New Mexico. One guy was going to ski it. And so I wasn't able to hike with him and he ended up having to hang back a little bit and we weren't hiking together by the time I got to Colorado. Then there was a couple other guys. They ended up having pretty weird, gnarly accident, like right before getting to Pagosa Springs. And so I wasn't able to hike with them. So I rolled into Pagosa Springs on by myself. And I was planning on like staying there for two days, picking up my snowshoes and being the first hiker of the 2021 season into the San Juans. Um, And it was like, dude, it was packed with snow, like up to my chest of just like post holing But it was, it was doable. Like I practiced with the snowshoes. I felt like I could do it. I budgeted for dropping like 15 miles a day. I mean, like dropping down. So I was only going to do like eight to 10 miles a day. And then I got up into the sand. Well, so I (laughs) rolled into Pagosa Springs. I thought I was going to go up by myself and I was terrified because I I'm from Africa. I don't have a lot of mountaineering experience per se. And so I was like, what the heck am I going to do? But I was just ready for it. Packed like nine days of food. I was going to bust all the way to Silverton. And I like hitched into Pagosa and hopped out. And right as I got out, this guy ran up to me. He was like, dude, are you hiking the CDT? He was clearly a hiker himself. His name was Sky. It was like, I've been waiting in Pagosa for five days for someone to show up. 
do you want to go up into the mountains tomorrow with me? I'm ready to give it a shot. I was like, what the heck? It's like totally flustered after five days between towns. And I was like, dude, sure. Whatever it takes to not go up into those mountains alone, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a, you know, a few hours of sleep that night. And then we busted back up to Wolf Creek pass and immediately post holing up to our chest in snow. I mean, just absolute insanity and started battling through and, it's a whole freaking story, but we ended up, we almost made it to Silverton and got caught in these freak late May storms that came through and dumped like two fresh feet of snow. And we got caught in this whiteout in a blizzard. And then Sky lost one of his snowshoes. <laughs> and we were like still three days from Silverton. So we had to pull this insanely gnarly bale out from the mountains down this gorge for two, it took us two days to get down we almost got really, really hurt with hypothermia and I got injured and we just hobbled back into Pagosa Springs. And that's a whole epic that happened. But because of that, we were like, shoot, man, we cannot bust through that. Like, it's just going to take way too much time. And so it wasn't just the San Juans, the, the winds also got socked in with snow. And so we, we flipped up and then we did the Great Basin, uh, and we did that together. And then I linked up with a couple other hikers that had also done a flip. So we knocked out the Great Basin, which goes from Lander back down to Colorado. Okay. And by the time we got to Colorado, I was kind of hoping it would still be passable. I was still post-holing up to my hips in snow. And I was just like, dude, this is insane. So started looking everywhere else was socked with snow. So went up, back, hitched back up to Lander, tried to do the winds. They were socked in with like crazy blowdowns in snow. So I flipped up, hitched to... Uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and did Yellowstone, started hiking from Yellowstone up and thankfully was able to hike, kind of follow the snow as it melted from Yellowstone up to Glacier, then hitch all the way back down to, to the Wind River Range and knocked out the Wind River Range, and then hitch back from Lander back down to Denver, hitch back to the trail and knocked out the San Juans. It was so gnarly. It was just like like freaking all up and down the east of the west coast. <laughs> so with all that jumping around, I mean, how long did it take you to do the CDT? You started in you know mid April. Uh, yeah, when did I you finish? Mid April, and then I finished September seventh. Okay, so almost yeah. five months. Yeah, almost five months. Mm -hmm. Not I'm not fast at all. I mean, it was that's the average time. And then so I was like, dude, this is not even this might not even work. I had kind of given up on the AT, honestly, for a while, because I was talking to some other hikers that had done AT late season. And they were like, man, you better be ready for it. Like, it's going to be gnarly. Like, if you're going to do AT late season, you should crank like if you're going to start mid September, you're going to need to rip out like no less than 30s and try to get down because like going through winter, if you get caught in winter, like before you get to Tennessee and stuff. It's going to be really, really bad. So I had a lot of trepidation and I was planning on doing it with this guy. Wow. And so the poor guy, I mean, he was like, Hey man, uh, what's like, we should leave soon. Like it's going to be gnarly. And we had, we had had a goal of doing a 90 day through of the, of the AT. He was training like crazy to do it. And we were like, that might be what we have to do is we just got to rip out thirties a day and just, you know, crank it out in 90 days. And so I finished, <laughs> I had one day I finished in Pagosa Springs. Cause that's where I got off. I went down that same gorge. I bailed out. There was no snow this time and hitched back to Pagosa, hitched to Durango, Colorado and flew to Bangor, Maine. And the next day was summiting Katahdin and 
dude, I was still shell shocked. Like what the heck? Okay. Before we get, before we get to the AT, a few things on the, on the CDT here, favorite portion of the CDT. Oh man. So hard. Uh, It's just such a magical trail. I mean, my jaw was dropping everywhere. I, you know, I think. Was it the San Juans? Was it the winds? Was it, uh, was, was it glacier? It honestly was probably the, the accumulation of the isolation and wild bushwhacking nature of like the Bob Marshall wilderness and Mm -hmm. the Montana Idaho border. Like it, it might not have been as majestic as far as like the sweeping landscapes of glacier and, and the winds, but yeah, I was just out there like i went you know over 300 miles without seeing anyone not even another like day hiker really like i would just see people when i go into towns no one else was out there you know there is something to be said about being in a location that the only way you can be there is by putting in just a tremendous amount of miles and just knowing you're out there in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody else around i mean that is that is a magical experience yeah it, it was, it was cool. That's where some of the biggest, like just personal transformation happened, I think for me. And like, just knowing that I had just unbounded time to myself and definitely went a little insane talking to myself a little, maybe named both of my feet and started talking to them, but <laughs> you do what you gotta do. Well, what, what are the names of the feet? I got to hear this. <laughs> Tim and Jim. Tim and Jim. Okay. Tim and Jim. Yep. Would talk to them. I had many conversations with both of them. And we, we discussed the, the, the crazy questions of the universe. <laughs> Did you ever see Castaway with Tom Hanks? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you had your own Paul personal Paul. Wilson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Most epic moment on the trail. Was, was there a particular moment where it was just unbelievable? Either something happened or some view or, or something else. You know, I got attacked by a bear in Glacier National Park, and that was pretty gnarly. It was a, it was wild. I was, I was like, got to camp really early because you're on a permit system, and so you can't really do that many miles per day as one. So I would always get to camp a little earlier and set up my my tent. And by that point, I was like sleeping with my bear spray because I had seen so many grizzlies. I hung my food, all my smellables took a nap in the tent and then I woke up and branches were just snapping like crazy all around my tent. And I woke up and I was looking right out through the mesh door and maybe four or five feet away was this big old grizzly just staring at me. I was like, what the heck? This is crazy. And I sat up real fast and rubbing sleep out of my eyes. And I was on thermorest. That's kind of noisy and must've pissed it off because it like growled real low and just charged right at me. And it was pretty much on top of me, but I was able to rip open the flap of my tent. I unfortunately had to break my tent to get it open and I was able to get my bear spray out. I sprayed it, but the flap of the tent caught the bear spray, whipped it around and I sprayed myself full on in the face, dude. It was so gnarly. And I mean, the thing is designed to shoot 30 feet in the distance. And so the force of it just knocked me down on my back into the tent and I was terrified because the last thing I saw was this big grizzly just a foot away from me barreling down on me. And I curled up in the fetal position. I was like reminding God of all the good things I'd done, you know, just like, this is it, bro. (laughs) And I guess I had hit the bear enough or maybe he just saw me and whimpering like a child and was like, I don't want that bad blood in me because he dipped out. (laughs) And when I came to though, like it was some of the worst pain I've experienced, like hands down, one of the most unpleasant things 
ever. I, I had to go to the hospital. It was so brutal. Now, Rad, I understand that there are two ways to use bear spray. You can use the, <laughs> the conventional way of spraying the spray at the bear and uh, scaring it away that way. Or right. you could turn it on yourself and hose yourself down in this uh, bear spray so that the bear will find you uh, not appetizing. And I think, yeah, I think you went with the, the less conventional method and it worked. I mean, you're here talking to us today. Yeah. So. There's, there's the alpha method and the beta method. And, and you got to just kind of analyze the situation and figure out what the best one to use is. <laughs> or he might think that you're just like seasoning yourself up for him, like throwing some paprika on you or something. <laughs> now, I want to thank you because I've, I've talked to a number of guests and I'll ask them, for, you know, for stories. We want to hear stories. That's, that's what that's what everybody's intrigued about. You know, what, what happens out there on the trail and, and just some epic stuff. And a lot of people, I'll get to the very end of the episode and, and say, OK, there's, there's a segment about, you know, what what haven't I asked you? And they'll say, oh, yeah, there's this time I almost got attacked by a bear. I'm like, you just buried the lead. Why wouldn't you tell that story early on in the episodes? We could explore it instead of at the very end. And you, you didn't disappoint you, you, uh, you did not keep that to yourself. You laid it out there. So thank you. Yeah. It was funny because you know, I, everyone was, was pretty concerned about grizzlies, obviously like, and they'd been acting really weird this year, this past year, because it was a drought season. And so they were getting pretty aggressive. And when that happened to me, my story kind of circulated around the, both the Sobo and Nobo community. And as I started hiking, I was hiking southbound at that point. Um, when I started hiking southbound, all the Noboers that were past me were like, you're the guy that sprayed yourself in the face. It was not, I was not known as the guy that got attacked by the bear. All I was known was the guy that sprayed myself in the face. So Mace to the face would have been a good trail name had I not already been named Rad. That's a pretty <laughs> rad story though. Very good. Now, did uh, did you tell your girlfriend or mom and dad about this uh, or did you keep that to yourself until you were done with both hikes? Yeah, no, no. I told him, I, I called him when I was in the hospital, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I was scared. I, I wear contacts and I had read that it's really dangerous. If you spray yourself in the face and you have contacts, you have to irrigate for five minutes and then take your contacts out and then irrigate for another 20 minutes. Otherwise it can like really damage your eye. And when I went to the doctor, he said that if I hadn't gone to the doctor, I would have had permanent eye damage because of how close the spray was. The force of it basically injected it like into my eye. So it was like, if you, if you hadn't come and they like properly cleansed me and I mean, dude, it was a good, like nine hours before the pain just subsided. Like it was, it was absolutely brutal. Thankfully I was really close to a road where another hiker led me by the hand up because I was totally blind. I couldn't see a thing flagged down a car and the super sweet couple drove way out of their way. Took them about till midnight to this little hospital in Browning, Montana. Okay. So a couple things to learn here for, for our listeners. Number one, you don't want to, you don't want to hit yourself in the face with bear spray. And if you are, if you are, you know, aiming the bear spray at the bear, Aim, you know, aim lower than the, I, I hate for that to happen to the bear too. You know, you don't want permanent eye damage in the bear, you know, go for, go for like the chest or, or, or something. So yeah, it's not PETA approved. <laughs> All right. Anything else from the CDT you want to share? I mean, there's, I mean, it's, it's 3,100 miles and we talked about <laughs> yeah, it for 10 so minutes. So I know there's, there's, there's a lot there. So I, I, I don't, I, you know, what, what, what else? <laughs> there's, there's a million stories, man. It was, this is anyone thinking about doing the CDT. Don't ever, don't second guess yourself. Go for it. A lot of people are scared about it because it's like a lot more navigation. It's not even completed. There's a lot of road walking, but I mean, just the most magical, magical trail. It's something that you know, I didn't even remember was the Gila river in New Mexico. This beautiful 
river that you just bushwhack and wade up for about a hundred miles in pure isolation. No one else is out there and you're just wading up this river. There's like hot springs you go by these towering slot canyons you're going through. Dude, it's just unbelievable. And you so, cross and recross the river multiple times. Oh, over a hundred times. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I remember hearing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely stunning. Yeah. So do it, do it for sure. If you, if you can. Okay. So you and wow finish in September, you have a day off. Well, no, wow. Actually did not hike the CDT with me. Okay. He, was, he, I met him on the PCT and then he was doing a bunch of other smaller through hikes and, and high routes. Um, while I was on the CDT to train for the speed AT Sobo that we were planning. Got it. So you finished the CDT. Yeah. You pair up with with Wow, and mm-hmm. you head out to the to the AT on one day rest, one day difference. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, how does the southbound hike of the AT go? Were you able to? Was it a full southbound hike, or did you have to flip flop that one as well? Yeah, thankfully that was a full Sobo hike, and you know I didn't realize how impactful and important a linear journey was until getting on the AT because like I would excuse me, I would get to a state on this CDT, like Wyoming, there's this big sign of like, congrats, CDT hikers, you know, you made it to Wyoming, and I would have already done half the state. And so I didn't get that euphoric sense of celebration from doing this linear journey. And on the AT, you know, we'd hit a state marker, and there was this huge celebration, and we pop champagne, and we're hugging each other. And it was this camaraderie, because you're able to break it up into smaller segments and have that be your goal. Like a marathon, you think of it in terms of aid station to aid station, not beginning to end. And with the CDT, it was so hard for me to get in that mindset. And I think part of what made it really challenging for me, one, I was all alone. So I had to find my motivation all by myself. And also I didn't have these little micro goals that I could reach necessarily like I did on the, on the AT of like, the halfway point, certain mile markers, you know, anytime there was a mile marker written in rocks on the CDT, it was never accurate for me. I had no idea really what mile I was at until I was getting close to being done. And that really messes with you on a through hike. So yeah, thankfully I was able to do the whole thing, uh, you know, Maine to Georgia, no interruptions. Yeah. And we've talked about it a little bit already. I mean, just the post trip, post trail depression, you're talking now about the mind game of being able, you know, of a sequential, sequential hike, through hike. I mean, so much of these long trail hikes are are mental. I mean, there's such such a, an emphasis on that, and you know, I wonder sometimes. I know it's a huge physical challenge, but it. I mean, you're out there with your own thoughts, and you're trying to motivate yourself and and uh, stay at it. And I, I think that sometimes the the mental challenge is just as as tough as the physical challenge. I totally agree. I think you get your hiker legs for different people. It's different uh, lengths. For me, I usually get it between five and 700 miles of the, of the start of the trail. And then you just adjust, you know, and it becomes, then the, the mental challenge takes over because yeah. I think when, before, when you have the physical challenge, it's something to focus on. You're like focusing on the pain and it's super challenging and rough. And, and when that's done, it just becomes like breathing, you know, that's what you do. You wake up and you walk. And so then what are you going to think of? And you can think of everything. Like you, you just run out of things to think of. There's there's only so much you can think of. And especially on the CDG, like I I wasn't able to use my phone that much to like listen to podcasts and music because I was having to conserve battery more. On the AT, I could do a lot more of kind of like listening to audiobooks, lectures, and podcasts and stuff. And that was cool. But and I had someone to talk to in wow, not just my feet. And so that was cool. But but yeah, man, the the mental challenge is 
definitely the biggest battle. It, it can be your greatest, you know, your, your greatest ally or your biggest enemy on these trips for sure. Okay. And did everything go according to plan on the AT? Did you encounter any weather or any other misadventures? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it did not. It did not all go according to plan, uh, but we, we, we went in purposely without a lot of plans. The plan was get to Georgia as fast as possible and we'll see what happens along the way. The, the AT is thankfully very easy to plan for. Like you, the once you get through the 100 mile wilderness at the beginning up in Maine, then you're really only two to three days between towns. And so not a lot bad can happen. And it was just a lot more logistically simple. Um, and so we went into it with like zero plans. Like we figured out how to get our, well, I say we, wow, pretty much totally figured out how to get the permit to summit Katahdin because I was super deep in the Weminuge wilderness in Colorado. And I texted him on my Garmin inReach. I was like, dude, I have no service. Can you get permits for us? <laughs> and he had to figure out this horrible system of getting like last minute permits to summit Katahdin. Cause I had no idea like what day I was going to be done. Um, so there was like a couple of logistical things we had to figure out. Um, but aside from that, we just kind of winged it, went for it. And it, it pretty much went, uh, you know, according to plan, but the, the weather was wild. We hit some insane weather through, the White Mountains in New Hampshire, going up over Mount Washington and the Presidential Traverse, and absolutely wild, like sideways snow and sleet, and crazy. You know, it was the most insane weather in the world is on top of Mount Washington. You know, yeah, uh, which, we've talked we've talked about that before on this on this podcast. Yeah, uh, some extreme sure. conditions up on top of Mount Washington. Yeah, pretty crazy. So that that was cool, but yeah, I mean crazy rains in new hampshire but then dude i mean we we started hitting the mid-atlantic and the colors of fall started popping and it was just like walking in a fairyland for months you know just beautiful colors leaves started falling and by the time the leaves were gone behind us we'd walk into a new section of beautiful colors <laughs> it was wild that was a really cool way to experience it anybody else on the trail at that time of year in that direction other Man, than you two was- no, there was no one. I mean, we we passed all the northbound guys that were finishing right at the beginning. And then I'd say by the time we like, I don't know, hard to say what state, but maybe like around New York, we just started running. We didn't, we didn't see like any other hikers. It was crazy. I mean, you see day hikers on the weekend and stuff, obviously, but it was very isolated. If I didn't have wow, I would I would have gone absolutely insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the best way to tell a day hiker other than what gear they're carrying is how they smell, right? Oh, dude, you can smell them from a mile oh, away. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they smell good. <laughs> <laughs> that shampoo and laundry detergent. And I'm sure they smell the conversely us approaching. <laughs> they saw you coming. They smelled you coming. Yes. Yep. <laughs> All right. Any any bear attacks on the, the AT? No, we didn't actually see any bears um, on the AT. Uh, we saw some moose and deer and lots of squirrels and really not a lot of wildlife, but it was cool. It was, you know, the CDT was a battle. Like every stage was a battle and it was just like brutal. Like I had to really go into this mindset of like just pain cave in a way that I don't think I ever have before. And going on the AT was, was magical release from a lot of that because I was battling snow smoke record setting temps this past summer where I passed out a couple times up in Montana from the heat and crazy blowdowns, no trail to follow. And then I went on the AT and it was like constant shade, perfect temps, no bugs, you know, walking through a green tunnel, you get hot, you jump in a river. Like it was beautiful, but we did have to keep up a really fast pace. So 
you know, we got to the point where we couldn't do anything under 35 miles a day. And so we just cranked that out every day for like two months. And it was uh, probably the biggest challenge was uh, I started getting to my head. Once we got to the end, I realized I'm going to do it. Like this thing that was a pipe dream for so long of getting to the end of the, of the triple crown is actually going to happen. And even the smaller goal of doing the AT right after the CDT. And I realized I wanted to sit in that and appreciate it. And because the days were so short, we were hiking sometimes 15 miles in the dark every day. And those were miles that I was like missing. You know, I wasn't able to see the surroundings and take it all in. There's a beauty found in night hiking, but it's just not the same for me. And wow, for a lot of different reasons, was very dead set on the 90 day goal. And as we started getting down to Tennessee, uh, to the Smoky Mountains, to Nantahala, um, places that I'd really been looking forward to as kind of a final checkpoint, I had to say, dude, I got to slow down. You know, I got to, I got to take it all in. This is, these are the final steps, the triple crown, the final steps of this insane journey. And it's becoming too much of a grind for me. And I, I need to be able to stop and sit at the base of a waterfall if I want to and absorb it and not hit 35 miles every day if I don't want to. And once I figured out what I had to do to like make it before Christmas, at least, and before like a couple of events that I wanted to be there for my girlfriend, then I, I had this peace in my heart of like, I took this deep breath and I could slow down. And I think that was like the first time all journey that I was just able to truly like be in the moment and just appreciate it fully for what a through hike is. There was no pressure for timeline, no pressure for like, got to make it to this town before I run out of food, got to do this. Like it was beautiful. And so I think, you know, the last couple weeks were some of the most like in tune with myself on a through hike I've ever been, even though I would love to have finished with wow, we both respect each other and love each other for how we finished out there at the end. And I'm glad that we honored our own passions, but that was definitely, you know, what I needed was to kind of be alone, be with myself and slow down and, and take it all in there at the end. Yeah. This, I mean, this was your experience. You, you deserve to be able to, to finish it and process it the way you need to do so. And, and so does he, you know, yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah. It was, it was, both of us just looked at each other and we're like, saw the value in, in the other person's perspective. And we loved each other enough to, to honor and respect that in each other. But as you know, I mean, I think you've, you've hiked the John Muir trail with, with other people, right? You, mm-hmm. you weren't alone. Right. The camaraderie that you build with hiking partners is unfathomable. Like it's just so tight because you go through incredible trials. And so wow. And I were brothers, you know, and it was not easy to, to, to not finish with him. I mean, there was lots of tears and it, you, you really just have this bond with, with people when you, when you're on a through hike. And so it was a hard decision to make for sure, but we, yeah. we think we made the right one. Yep. I'm sure you did. Now take us through what's going on in your noggin as you are approaching Springer. I mean, you've got uh, 5,200 miles under your, under your trail runners. Uh, this is the last piece to becoming a, a bona fide triple crowner. Just everything that's gone into it from 2018 to, you know, uh, middle of December there. What's going through your head? Yeah, man, you know, and I think we actually maybe touched a little bit on this on our interview with the PCT, but you really don't allow yourself to think about the end until you're really close because 
it's kind of like that mentality, right? You don't want to always be thinking about the finish line. You break it up into smaller chunks, smaller chunks. And so the thought of doing the triple crown was always this very abstract, you know, potentially maybe it'll happen. And then the thought of getting on the AT after the CDT was a pipe dream. And then there was naysayers all along the way, like, well, you want to do it 90 days and self is insane, but you're so late season, you're going to run into horrible snow and the Smokies. I mean, so many people just like kind of beaten us down and we were scared. We were like, are we going to make it? Like, this is wild. And, uh, you know, we did. And like those, those last couple of days, it was just like finally no pressure and just this full release of tension that had kind of been in me from the beginning it was, oh, it was beautiful. Like so many tears and like just processing and, you know, just allowing myself to think back on all the moments and like really just yeah, appreciate each stage of the journey and, and see it as a whole. Cause you can't really understand and see the journey as a whole until you're there at the end and you get a look back and you're like, man, that was so hard in the moment. I didn't think I was going to pull out of that but I did. And I'm so glad I did. And that made this part of the journey so much better. You know, like there is many times on the CDT and AT that I thought about quitting. I never thought about quitting on the PCT. Like I, it wasn't something I thought about. And this time I was really, really close to quitting several times. And, you know, looking back at that and being like, man, that was like an essential part of the narrative of this journey. And like my story is cool, but you don't really get to see that until the end. So that all comes crashing in around you at once. And you're like, Whoa. And then as we talked about as well, you know, joy for accomplishing this, but then also deep sadness and sorrow at mourning the end of this beautiful lifestyle, um, particularly after the end of the triple crown. Cause like, that's the triple, like you can only do the triple crown once, like the first time, one time, you know, those emotions are, you can't replicate them. And so I wanted to sit in it, but then I was also like mourning the loss of this lifestyle. That's, that's meant so much to me over the years. Um, and I think I'm still kind of like figuring out sure. that right now. Yeah. It, it, it'll sit with you for a while. I mean, it, I've talked to a lot of people and, you know, months and they're, they're still trying to process, you know, that it's, it's, it's in the past and, you know, they're back in, in civilization and mm-hmm. uh, there, there is a lot to process there. So hang in there, buddy. And congratulations. Really proud of you. And uh fantastic that you are a triple crowner and you did it in such epic style. I mean, we, we talked to a number of people on the podcast that I think are just uh, incredible people, incredible uh, badasses, if you will. This is, this is one of the, one of those accomplishments, Rad, that this is a, a big, big accomplishment. Congratulations. Man, I really appreciate that doc. Thank you so much. Now I hate to even ask this next question because we're still processing what just happened, but what, what's next for rad what what is there a next adventure that you already have in mind or you're going to give yourself some time to kind of process that <laughs> yeah i you know i i i don't want to always live my life with the what's next mentality i i think that's a big part of what i've kind of been like processing with myself and some of my other through hiking friends as we think about what causes post trail depression and what causes like a lot of these feelings of like the post trail blues. And what we've kind of boiled it down to is this like sense of unsatisfaction, right. And like constantly being like, what's next, what's next. And I think you got to strike this balance between honoring who you are as an adventurer and someone that's constantly going to want to live this lifestyle, but then trying to be satisfied in what you just accomplished and not constantly thinking about what's, next. And so obviously I've got dreams and goals and, you know, tentative plans for like 
my girlfriend and I have maybe talked about doing the Teora together in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to get back, get on the great divide trail and knock that out. Um, there's some, you know, motorcycle touring I'd really like to do maybe some other disciplines, some, some long adventures and some other sports. Um, but I'm really right now just kind of trying to sit in this accomplishment and soak it all in and like appreciate it for, for what it is, you know? And I think that's, that's helped with kind of, I'm not going to say I haven't battled post-trail depression, but it's, I think it's helped with it. I'm not really, I don't feel like it's hitting me as hard as it might otherwise Mm -hmm. if constantly like comparing myself and, Oh, I only did two trails in a year. This guy did three in one year. Like, Like there's just this weird like competition, which is, I don't know where that comes from. You know, I think it's just human nature, I guess, Mm -hmm. but it just, it's not, it's not through, that's not what through hiking is about to me. It's a personal thing. And I I want it to like, I want to really just like sit in this and, and figure out kind of what it means for me. You know, Mm -hmm. you're a wise man, Rad, because uh, (laughs) I've got a few years on you and I only figured out recently Mm -hmm. that, you know, when you're a young kid, you're always looking forward. You're always, it's very tough to live in the moment as a, as a, as a kid, when you're looking forward to, you know, going to high school, driving, dating, going to college, what's my career going to be? Who am I going to marry? You're always looking forward. And then at some point in your life, when you get to be my age, you, you say, you, you look back and mm-hmm. you're thinking about the good old days, right? And yeah. when, we, when we did this and man, do you remember that? And we didn't have to worry about this. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very difficult. I think it's a real skill to be able to live in the moment and appreciate what's happening when it's happening. And what you just described there about you know, possibly you know, thinking about what the next adventure is and that contributing to this post-trail depression, I think, that, I think, I think you hit it right on the head buddy. I think uh, you're exactly right there. And I think you're, you're very smart to, even when you, you finish a trail and you're back and you're reacquainting yourself with everybody, stay in that moment as well. I mean, appreciate what, what you got going on and, and who you've missed for the last eight months. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you're, you're exactly right that just looking ahead uh, immediately after finishing something that, that does not lead to uh, a lot of satisfaction. Yeah. Amen, man. I I totally agree with that. And it's a concept that I'm kind of slowly kind of understanding in myself um, because I don't want to betray who I am. I'm thankful for my passions that I have and my drive to want to do things. And I've still got a massive bucket list of things I want to do, but they'll come in time. And even having this mindset on a through hike was really important because if you're just out there to pursue the mountaintop experiences and the views, majority of your through hike is going to be really rough because it's not all sweeping landscapes and panoramas. A lot of it is grinding through rocky, muddy tree tunnels for weeks. And then wait, you get- wait a second. That's not what I see on Instagram. It's all, it's all <laughs> just beautiful things that happen out there, right? Yeah. It's, it's all McAfee knob, just nonstop <laughs> on the AT. <laughs> well, you have really done your butt tattoo proud. You lived, lived up to that, uh, that moniker on your cheek there. Rad. <laughs> Nice job. Do you know where we are, Rad? What's that? We are at that part of the episode where I turn to you and ask you for your pro tip inside of the week. What bit of trail wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? I did a little bit of thinking because I remember you asking that question last time and I was taken aback a little bit. So I tried to come prepared and I think it actually segues pretty well with what we just talked about, um, which is learning how to find beauty in everything on trail and, and trying to think about it in, in the grand scheme of things. So instead of just 
pushing for those mountaintop experiences and the grand sweeping landscapes and thinking about the hills as a means to an end, getting to the top of a peak and looking at it, thinking about hills on the AT as what we call PUDs, pointless ups and downs. I hate that term because they're not point. If, if there's a pointless up and down through the whole through hiking is a PUD, like there's no point to it really. And so it all depends on where you find beauty and what you place value in. And so this concept of a PUD got me really frustrated. And I, I would just encourage people to try Try to find beauty and value in that little mushroom peeking out of the rocks with some moss by it as you're hiking up this hill to the top of, you know, Musalaki mountain up, you know, in on the AT and like, just don't live for the, don't live for the peaks, like try to find beauty in everything and in the moment and try to live in the moment. It'll make your experience so much more rich. You'll also start to see how the the narrative plays out as a whole and how every part of the journey is essential for the story that you're going to replay in your mind over and over again, whether you make a film about it or not, you're always going to be replaying this hypothetical documentary in your mind. And that's what brings up these beautiful feelings of, of joy and euphoria and nostalgia about these trips. And so if you think about it in terms of a, like this film and this narrative, then everything has its place. The good, sleeping under a bridge with a hobo, you know, is just as important as summiting Mount Whitney in the sunrise or in the sunset. <laughs> and like, that is essential part of the story. And it, it really rounds it out and makes it a, a beautiful experience. It's going to have a life-changing impact on you. Very good boys and girls. If you're listening out there, put 5,200 miles under your trail runners and you too can become a Zen philosopher <laughs> like Rad. Fantastic. You, you are a, <laughs> you have achieved uh, bliss. I mean, I, I, you've got the, the whole, the whole package. Nice job. Mm, I, I appreciate that. Do not, do not think I have it down. I'm down. <laughs> this is me processing it and trying to convince myself to have this mindset right now. <laughs> uh, you got me convinced. You've got it down. Love it. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Rad. Want to thank him for joining us this week. And thank you for capping off season three, episode 50, uh, episode 150 of the podcast. Really, really excited that I was able to spend this episode with you. You, you did a, a fantastic job tonight. How can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your, your latest adventures? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Chris Carter 146. Um, and I got my YouTube linked there in the bio. You can follow me on YouTube. I'll be, you know, putting out some updates about this progress for uh, for this documentary link in the CDT and the AT. I do intend on uh, putting this out. And then there's, you know, maybe some potential in the works. It'll be on some streaming platforms or working with, yeah, there's a couple of irons in the fire right now of, of maybe making this a little bit more of a a story that that has an impact instead of just a story. Um, and so I'm excited to see what happens, but you can kind of follow those, those updates on Instagram and YouTube. Can't wait to, to see that. I imagine it's going to take some time though, to take all that footage from those two trails and, and kind of put it together, put the story together. So it's not coming out next month. I'm, I'm anticipating. Yeah, no, no, I don't, no. don't have the trailer out yet. yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, remember to check out the podcast on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. Rad, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, movie, documentary, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail during the off season. 
calling this our adventure media recommendation. And it's, uh, it's already stipulated that uh, people should check out to measure a mile. Uh, that in addition to that, what else, what else would you point in their direction? Oh man. Um, it, uh, I would say the rescue, right? Yeah. The rescue, the film by uh, Jimmy Chin and uh, Elizabeth, it, the, the one, of, it, you know, they, they chronicled the, the like crazy rescue of, of the like soccer team um, in Thailand, in Northern oh, Thailand, okay. I think. Yeah, really beautiful, beautiful documentary. I just watched that the other day with Emily, my girlfriend. Um, and inspiring adventure film, you know, as far as like cave diving, but also just a humanity film, like looking at, you know, what goes into a survival situation and how to react under pressure. Um, beautiful cinematography, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I think it's called The Rescue by... Um, by Jimmy Chin, definitely check that out. Fantastic. I mean, I, I'm familiar with with the adventure as as uh, most people are. The, yeah. the, having having to do that rescue and the actual logistics behind that rescue are just absolutely crazy. Oh, wild! Yeah. But I did not know that Jimmy Chin was involved in the documentary, so that's that's interesting. We'll have to check that out. He's fantastic. Phenomenal storyteller and mm-hmm. just visual storyteller. Yeah, it's it's an incredible watch. Okay, thank you for that. And before we wrap things up, I've got just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? <laughs> yeah, we covered a lot. We um, did. Man. Um, trying to think. Uh, oh, you know, something that, something that a lot of people have asked me about and I, I would like to maybe kind of talk about this in maybe a YouTube video or something. I've had some requests, uh, just like the, the social impact of leaving a community for that long, uh, whether it's a family or friends, or uh, in my case, a girlfriend, you know, a lot of people say it's like impossible to date on trail <laughs> and it's definitely challenging. Uh, but, you know, Emily and I thankfully made it work, but it was, it was a learning process. And there's this whole really beautiful conversation about just what does it look like to leave a community and do a through hike and kind of, how does that play into it? And, you know, it's, I think it's something that deters a lot of people from pursuing their dreams and going out and doing a through hike they've always dreamed of. Maybe they've got a girlfriend who can't take the time off to do it with them or a boyfriend, or they don't think that they're parents would be supportive or they're scared to be away from them for that long. And, you know, I think that it's important to lean into that, but to also like, just try to have conversations with your community, try to get them to understand why you want to do that. Because oftentimes they just don't understand the draw and they don't understand what that entails. You know, to them, it just sounds like a walk in the woods, but it's this, this journey of soul searching and kind of like a pilgrimage almost, there's a lot of value in it. And sometimes it just takes kind of talking to people uh, that are important in your life to, to really portray why that's important to you. And therefore something that the relationship will survive if you go out and do that, you know, I don't communicate, know. Communicate, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Communicate, try to make them understand, understand why you're a 72 on the through hiking, uh, hiking pole quiz. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what... I scored better than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is a wrap from the John freaking mirror studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Brad? Oh man. I mean, kind of, you know, dovetailing from that, just the support that I got from primarily my, my girlfriend, Emily and my parents and my family and my close friends back here in chat, you know, it's, it's, 
especially like it's hard, you know, I'm, I was trying to delve into my relationship with my girlfriend and do that from, you know, trying to balance on a rock, trying to get signal in the middle of the Bob Marshall wilderness. And like, it's hard to really keep a relationship afloat, but she stuck with me, supported me. And, you know, my family was such huge support. And like, when you're alone for that long, like community is key, you know, having this feeling that people are backing you up and supporting you. And so I'm just so thankful for the people that did. Yeah. Emily, she's a keeper. Yeah. She's a, she's a thug, man. She's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you just sprayed yourself in the face with bear spray to ward off a charging grizzly. The trail (laughs) is the trail. Embrace the suck. 